it's only fitting on our 25th episode that we talk about our Lord and Savior himself, Michael Cimino. So recently, I just finished the book by Charles Elton called Chimino, and it just breaks down his whole life. It's probably the most thorough, descriptive story of his life that I've that I've ever read, and it was great. It was a really good read. I've learned a lot of things about him and that I didn't know, but I've just recently gotten super infatuated with with, with Chimino's career. I mean, from the very beginning, so. The book was great. It, it talked about his early, you know, beginnings in New Jersey. He always lied about when he was born, but, you know, the book kind of breaks it down more accurately of, of, of all the facts. But yeah, he was born in, in New Jersey. He kind of felt the way it's written. He kind of like was like a, a hood, <laughs> you know, growing up. He hung out with like a lot of like street toughs or whatever. The interesting thing was that they said nobody called him Michael Chimino then. It was more like Simino, they they pronounced it. So when Charles Elton said he was in interviewing people after Michael won the uh, Academy Award for Deer Hunter, people were like, we had no idea his name was Michael Chimino until he was on TV. So I always thought that was funny. But like it was, he had a great career. I mean, he was, um, you know, went to, I believe he was an Ivy League grad and he was, uh, he was an art major and he, all, there was all kinds of things he wa- he was doing that was in the advertisement world. And he started directing commercials and they were big commercials. And when you, when you hear about these commercials he made, everything else makes sense afterwards what happened with, you know, the movies and stuff, but they were big budget commercials and he went overboard and over schedule and spent what he wanted, but they were great, great commercials. And, you know, the clients always loved their product. He did an Eastman Kodak commercial that did really well. And then he did a United Airlines commercial that was huge at the time. And they were big little stories, little movies. And he was one of the first guys to do that. And they really were kind of visually spectacular for for just being a commercial. So he definitely, you know, he he made his bones in New York and then he met probably the most interesting person or the most important person of his career or of his life and that would be Joanne Corelli. And she was instrumental on everything that he did. The decisions he made, everything he did was really her. She was the one who was always the one whispering in his ear and and made all you know, all those, you know, choices that he made or not made all the choices, but she really was, you know, his, his definitely his muse and Charles Elton, she's still alive. And Charles Elton did interview her and she's just as mysterious as, as Michael Cimino was. And she doesn't want to give you any information, but she really was a ball busting producer. And, and whether anyone wanted to admit that or not, she, she was a great one. And she definitely, you know, steered, you know, Michael Cimino into the right direction. So he comes out to LA and he's writing scripts. Most notably, 
It, he wrote, he worked on Silent Running, the Douglas Trumbull movie, and he also um, worked on Magnum Force, the Dirty Harry flick. And so the second one. So he worked on those two and where he got to meet Clint Eastwood. I'm not even sure really how he got so into into that where he all of a sudden was writing, you know, big Hollywood scripts. But him and Joanne Corelli, they got themselves in that position and they knew if they had a script, Joanne Corelli told Michael Cimino, this according to the biography, that if he can get the a script in front of a big star that says yes, he can direct a movie. And that was kind of like their plan. So he has almost an exploitation type style movie, and it's called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. And that's his first script that he has that he wants to direct. And it does fit into the, you know, the new wave, American new wave, 70s films. It's, it's really cool and interesting movie, but it stars Clint Eastwood. So he gets Clint to star. Jeff Bridges, who ends up getting nominated for an Oscar for it. And it's, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. It's certainly not a Chimino film, but he definitely needed to get, you know, his foot in the door. And supposedly Eastwood would just do a few takes when he was done. That's good enough. Let's move on. So Clint always ran the show, whatever he was doing. So, but, but it did prove that Michael Cimino could make a good movie. And definitely he did that. And it came out, did well. And then after that, he ends up doing The Deer Hunter. And this is the big one. To me, you know, one of the best movies of all time, his best movie, probably. I don't know if there's anything I think I've ever watched for the first time and, and, got impacted like that, maybe Apocalypse Now, but I love The Deer Hunter. Now, there are a lot of standout scenes for me in The Deer Hunter, but probably the best part for me would be the whole wedding sequence. I I definitely, I love it from the very beginning. They're all getting loaded. Uh, John Cazell's just graded it. It's just really funny. I think it's very authentic. They're supposed to be Russian, but they really, to me, feel like just Western PAers all the way. And just, I don't know, they, they get drunk like a real person from Western PA. It's, it's a good fun, it's a good fun sequence in that, in that opening that really does set the stage for, you know, what you're about to get into for the rest of the movie. And there's all kinds of great stories, but that's where it kind of started with him too. It actually didn't start there, but he actually was, um, he was a little bit difficult on that fighting with people. Always fighting on credits, too. Like, he didn't want to give screenwriters credits. He always tried to get people out. Didn't feel like it was just for ego. It was more for just control and for secrecy and to get people away from you. And it seemed like it was always, in the end, him and Joanne Corelli that would be there in the end. So it's kind of it's kind of a cool little, little group they had. But his editor on it and ended up going into Heaven's Gate was Penny Shaw, whose father is Robert Shaw from Jaws. And she was there with him. And, and, and then you can see some interviews with her online that are, that are pretty funny. But speaking of Jaws, Roy Scheider actually was supposed to star in The Deer Hunter. But I guess they said undisclosed reasons, but it's probably because he couldn't stand Chimino or there was a lot of stories actually that were floating around. But he turned it, he didn't want to do it, but he was in a contract. So to get out of his contract, he actually agreed to do Jaws 2. So that's actually why he's in Jaws 2, just to get out of The Deer Hunter. So I wonder if he ever regretted that one, but it's pretty funny. You know, so The Deer Hunter comes out, wins the Oscars, best movie, best director. You know, he expected to win that. That was the whole goal. There's some great stories about the making of it too and how it got the success it did because when it came out it was sort of divided with you know liberals and conservatives because it was hard to tell 
where he stood. It was hard to tell what kind of, you know, movie it was because it seemed like it was pro-war, then it seemed like it was questioning the war. And and then he kind of, his notes on the script certainly kind of machoed them up a little bit. It's tough to see where everyone stood, but it was such a great movie. And in the end, I think that's what made it a great movie is that you kind of forces you to talk about that. So it would just be interesting to see what that those conversations were like when they were like Jane Fonda's winning for Best Actress and he's up there with her. They're all taking their pictures together for like one's an anti-war film, one's a pro, you know, in some people's eyes, a pro-war film. So it's just interesting to see what side everyone was on. I love it because to me, it's the most Pittsburgh, Western PA flick there, there is, man. I, I fucking love it. I love when they're drunk in the bar, singing Frankie Valley. I love it all. And one of my personal favorites, and I'm always going to love the deer hunter and always champion it when, when people try to try to talk about other movies from the seventies that are better. And there isn't much. And it got famous because, and, and well, what I wanted to say earlier was the old cable station Z channel was one of the reasons that this movie got the acclaim it got because it didn't have a lot of theater push at the time. So Z Channel in LA actually played it before its theater run or during its theater run was actually playing on cable in, in LA. So there was a lot of people who never would have saw it or voted for it in the Academy Awards. And that was one of the big pushes was through Z Channel and which those guys who run that, that station back then, the contributors and stuff were friends, end up becoming friends with Michael Cimino throughout, throughout his life. So it, it's pretty interesting to see like the evolution of Deer Hunter and how it got there. But it definitely gave him all the power him and Joanne Corelli could ever ask for. I mean, they literally came out and fucked Hollywood and they, they did it. They did it. Whatever their goal was, they fucking did it. So at that point, they held all the cards and Heaven's Gate's the next movie. And there's no way I'm going to be able to tell you everything about Heaven's Gate. You got to go out and, and research the movie and people call it the biggest bomb in Hollywood history. I, I don't agree with that. There's a lot bigger financial bombs in this. This is a masterpiece of a movie too, where other bombs, they, they suck where this one is just, it's worth it. Whatever they spent ended up being worth it, but it was definitely the movie that ended the new Hollywood. They, they say it ended the new Hollywood era and definitely was one of the reasons that the studio took back over. I mean, it was a United Artists had to close its doors kind of at the time and, or, you know, Heaven's Gate was the blame for it. But it's a really a great movie. You know, it came out was just this giant bomb, only made a couple million when it first came out. But they made mistakes when they released it. They put a sepia tone on it. They had a, a super shortcut they tried to make to appease the audience. It just stupid moves the whole way. And then it was early 2010s, around that time, where Joanne Corelli actually went to Criterion and spoke to them about re-releasing the really re-releasing Heaven's Gate, the, the Finland version, and they agreed and. They took out all the stupid sepia crap and they recut it and just did it proper. And it's beautiful. It's one of the, you know, it really is a great movie. It, it, I don't know if it's better than Deer Hunter, in my opinion, but it definitely is one of the most beautiful cinematography films of all time. Vilma Zygmunt's best movie, in my opinion. I love it. I think it's the more I watch it, the more I, when I first watched it, I saw it, you know, quite a few years back and I didn't really like it that much. I was like, ah, oh, it's kind of boring. I just didn't give it really a chance. I always loved the um, the violin the roller skating rankage which is the opening theme to our show that you hear all the time that is David Mansfield who's doing the the music there and he's he's like a young kid at the time but he's the composer I love the roller skating scene but 
it's just a great movie when you just got to keep, you got to watch it. And if you don't like it, just give it another chance. Some movies are made to watch more than once. I definitely think it was, you know, Heaven's Gate's one of those. But then the movie comes out and it has everything, you know, kills everyone's career, <laughs> kills everything. And the book, Charles Elton's book is really great when he talks about it, talks about the locals and how they experienced the movie. And everyone seemed to like everyone, though, like Chimino and Joanne Corelli. And everyone was, you know, kind to everyone. They, they seemed to, you know... The locals liked them. I mean, I think they wore out the welcome after a while, but I think the people are happy that they filmed Heaven's Gate there. But the movie comes out, ruins, you know, Chimino's career. Joanne Corelli is, you know, gone from it. And they just, they put everything on him. He was the fall guy. Movie is the biggest, at least they're trying to say it's the biggest bomb ever. The critics are just destroying it. Vincent Camby called it like an unqualified disaster, I think is what he said. Just shitting on this movie. And it's just funny critics because you can go back and they'll they'll like rewrite their theory on a movie and all of a sudden they like it again and eh, whatever. But he goes through all this shit and, and then that's Heaven's Gate. You know, it, it ends literally ends a lot of careers the new hollywood just giving directors final say so that's that you know he he goes through that and he's out for quite a few years in the meantime a lot of good things came out from there like the book um final cut from stephen bach which is kind of my favorite book on movies and it's about the whole making stephen bach was the executive producer on on heaven's gate and and just the way that United Artists fought for that movie and and because at the time Arthur Krim and a lot of the top executives at United Artists left and went to and started Orion Pictures. And at that point, now all of a sudden all these brand new executives are coming out in United Artists and they wanted to make their mark. So instead of worrying about Rocky and James Bond and Woody Allen, all these inherited pictures that they're making money off of, they kind of, they, you know, they want to, they want the Oscar and they, and they want Chimino because Chimino just won one for Deer Hunter. So this is the new guy. This is the, this is the guy they want. And they just give him the keys to the fucking kingdom, but he didn't shit on their money. He made, he made a movie. I mean, he didn't party with it. He didn't overspend. He he made a movie. He made a great movie. And I think if the same thing would happen now, it'd be more akin to, you know, how James Cameron does it, you know, just overspends and, you know, fuck you. It's a good movie. That's it. But it's over after that for him. And he kind of goes away for a little while. Another little fun fact about uh, Michael Cimino is for a short time, he was actually supposed to direct Footloose. So I would have loved to have seen a Michael Cimino Footloose film, but I guess, you know, obviously he was trying to make it too grand and, and not, you know, keeping it MTV hip enough. So uh, eventually he did get replaced, but that would have been something I would have loved to have seen, or at least to see the script that he had ready to do for, for that one. But then in the mid eighties, he sort of kind of comes back a little bit and Dino De Laurentiis gives him a chance and he comes and does Year of the Dragon. And Year of the Dragon is one of the real underrated movies. It's a great 80s flick with Mickey Rourke. It's, you know, gangs in Chinatown. It's really good. I mean, Mickey Rourke kind of, you know, he, he's a little bit younger than he should have been for that. They kind of gray up his hair. There's a little bit of goofiness to it. But in the end, it's a really good movie, a great ending, great ending on this bridge. And it's shot well. And Chimino knows how to shoot things grand and and that's something that no one can ever take away from him is his eye and he it, that it's it's amazing you know i will say the only picture of his i didn't see was the sun chaser which is basically his last movie but right after the year of the dragon the, the other two that i saw was the sicilian which i actually did an episode on i can't stand the sicilian 
I really think that, you know, they wanted to make a Godfather. It's Mario Puzo novel. So I think their intentions were to do like a Godfather type thing because the original Sicilian book was actually about uh, Michael Corleone and he goes to Sicily and it's about like their, so their relationship, but that was supposed to be what it was about, but they couldn't get the rights to Michael Corleone because of Paramount owned them. So they had to cut that out. So the book was just only the Christopher Lambert character. I don't know. It was, it just wasn't that great, but I will say after that was Desperate Hours and a lot of people kind of bashed that one, but I have to say it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I, I really like it. Uh, Mickey Rourke, Anthony Hopkins, Mimi Rogers. It's really good. Kelly Lynch is in it. It's great to watch because being a little goofy type of 80s 80s film, it's great because you can see these opening shots where Kelly Lynch is just driving to court, but he shoots these epic, giant, beautiful mountain range shots. And this is this is what Shimino does. You know, the littlest thing is 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 giant. And I and I, I've always loved that about him. You know, true artist till the end. But unfortunately, when you are a true artist like him and Orson Welles and all those guys, you got to pay a price. And he did. He definitely paid a price. And that was it afterwards. He last 20 years of his life, you know, he was he was a shut in and he wrote. He he was out there. He near the end, he, you know, he was starting to get the love he deserved, started making appearances at film festivals and so forth. And he definitely lived. a. I think the last few years of his life, I think, redeemed a lot to him. You know, he died at 77. On July 2nd, 2016. But he died in 77. He tried to say he was like in his 50s during that time, but he always lied about his age. But yeah, I, I think it's sad what happened, but I think, you know, time treated him well. And, and people will always look back on, on certainly the Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate. And those are classics. And so is Year of the Dragon and Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I mean, he has a, he has a filmography that's worth diving into that are more than just, you know, Deer Hunter and, and, and everything. So I, I, I think he is absolutely one of the premier directors of all time. You know, they they break down. I, I know his appearance, you know, towards the end kind of shifted a little bit. The book breaks that down. You know, he was such a mysterious person. Who gives a fuck? You know, I don't I don't know if he wanted to become a woman or what he wanted to do at the end. I think in really the truth is he hated Michael Cimino. He hated Michael Cimino and he would have been anybody else. That's probably what it was, whether it be a woman or whether it be a different type of man. But I think as long as he didn't have to look at the old face in the mirror, that's really what it felt like when I when I read the biography. It just seemed like when he got beat up, it was he just didn't you know, he was always running from his past anyway, from his childhood on. So it makes sense that he just never wanted to be him towards the end. Certainly didn't want people to recognize him. So it's sad. That part's sad that you can't, you know, you know, be comfortable in your own skin. That sucks. But I I wish, I wish somewhere, in, somewhere in the universe, he's on some planet making films still. So I love him. This was our 25th episode and it had to be on, it had to be on Michael Chimito. Anyways, thanks for listening. Go out, watch Heaven's Gate if you haven't seen it and give it a shot and don't be so quick to dismiss it. I think you might be surprised by it. And that's about it. And we will talk to you guys all soon. And I would love to hear what you guys think about, about the man himself. All right. Just, uh, you know, the exterior on a walk is in New York and the interior of a sweatshop is in Bangkok and they come out in Wilmington. And so I've become used to that way of working and it's become second nature to me. I've done that on every film. And because I didn't go to film school, I didn't know any better. You know, so I, I didn't say anything wrong with it. So I just do it. And nobody ever told me what you couldn't do, which was 
the great advantage of not going to film school and not going studying writing because nobody ever told me what you shouldn't do. And script girls are very fond of telling me, you can't, that's not going to cut. And I said, yes, it will. And they said, no, it won't. I said, how much are you prepared to bet? And they said, what do you mean? I said, I'll bet you $1,000 it cuts. And one girl took me up on the bet, one script girl, and I showed her the cut. I said, you owe me $1,000. But, of course, I didn't take it. But I don't know about this business of the eyeline and crud. Critics are always saying I cross the eye line and I do this and I do that. And I once tried reading a book about film editing. I got so confused, I had to stop reading it. I couldn't get past page two. And yet I've worked on the editing of Deer Hunter. You know, I live in the editing room. I love the editing room. So my great break was nobody ever told me what was not possible. So I've always done exactly that. Always been contrary.